Well, I wanted to alliterate uh, this morning's message as much as possible, so I've entitled it, Purpose to Pursue Your Primary Priority. So all the P's I could come up with. But studies have shown that the first week in January is the most depressing week of the year for many people. The holidays are over. Family and friends have left and gone back home, and now it's time to look at going back to work or back to school and return to the everyday, often mundane activities of this mortal life. And what's even more depressing than that are all those New Year's resolutions that we make and then we so quickly break. There's an old Irish New Year's toast that says, may all your troubles in this coming year be as short as your New Year's resolutions. (laughs) But fortunately, uh, God's promises offer us more hope than that toast. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In writing to the Colossian Christians, Paul reminds them that since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You know, but even as Christians, we can often prioritize the wrong things in our lives. We can make secondary things primary, and we can often make primary things secondary. As in all matters of life, we must look to God's word for direction. And it's in the scripture, in the scripture alone, that God has revealed his divine will to us. He's made it clear on how we are to properly prioritize our lives. And when we say priority, we usually mean what's the most important thing or what is most necessary at the time. You know, the word priority is simply a form of the word prior, which means before or ahead of or preceding something else. If I were to ask you, you know, what's your number one primary priority in your life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as one of his disciples? And I'm not asking about all the various priorities that we have in this life, and there are several But I'm asking, what is the primary priority that we get up every day with and follow? You know, in Psalm 27 and verse 4, David there had this perspective. He said, one thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing shall I seek. Then in Philippians 3.13, the Apostle Paul, again, he writes, this one thing I do. You know, David had focused his life on his primary priority. 
He said it was to behold the beauty of the Lord. And Paul said his primary priority was to know Christ and then be conformed to his likeness. And my question is this morning, do you, do you know how to set proper priorities? When there are several things that need to be done, or are you able to determine and decide which one should come first in the order of importance? You know, there are many things that might be necessary, but what must you do first? It's a question of setting the proper primary priority. (laughs) You know, and we all think and believe that we've got good intentions, but what really counts is executing an intention at the appropriate moment. Doing the right thing at the right time, it's having the proper priorities in our lives. And So this morning I want us to turn to the Word of God and Look at Luke's gospel there in chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42, and this is a passage that's very familiar to most of us, but there's a lot we can glean and apply in our own lives. So the question again, what is our primary priority as followers of the Lord Jesus? So the Word of God will instruct us in what that is, so let's begin reading there in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. There Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Now as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Well, let me provide just a little bit of historical context on what's going on here. And starting here at this this point, all the way until his triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the last week of his life, Jesus is going to be on the road traveling. And he's already been on the road for several months and since he had ended his ministry in, in Galilee. He's been going from town to town, preaching and proclaiming and teaching about who he is. He sent his 70 disciples, you recall, and 35 teams of two, sent them out in in pairs in advance to prepare the towns and the villages for his arrival. And sometimes the disciples were welcomed into those towns, and sometimes they weren't. But it's now we're entering into the last six months of Jesus' life, and he's going to visit certain places, so we're going to we're going to be traveling along with, with Jesus, as verse 38 says. Now, as they were traveling along from Luke 10, verse 38, all the way into the 19th chapter, Luke is primarily focusing on Jesus' teaching ministry. Miracles that Jesus performed are only occasionally mentioned at this point in the gospel. 
The emphasis is going to be on what he's actually teaching. And the students, through this six-month period, are primarily the apostles and the disciples. And this is their final semester, if you will, in preparation for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the final preparation to proclaim the will of God as some of them will end up writing portions of the New Testament. And we read there in verse 38, Jesus entered a certain village. And Luke is not concerned about where Jesus is geographically at this point. The focus here is the content of what Jesus is teaching as he entered this village. And what is important from this passage is that we learn and understand what Jesus has taught. And we already know what it means to be a disciple. That is, we are to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses and follow Christ and obey him. Now we're going to see how a true disciple must think. And we must think like our Lord. And we're going to know how he thinks because we're going to learn from him through his teaching. And my goal this morning, as in every Sunday, whoever is preaching the word of God, is to tell you what the word says, what Jesus has said, what he meant by what he said, and then finally how to apply it in your lives. And there's only one posture for doing this, and that is to be there at his feet like Mary was. It's as if the teacher, if you will, comes into the classroom and he says, all right, students, everyone sit down. We're going to begin class now. Well, this class continued for six months. You know, and you've got to realize in the cultural context and historical context of this portion of Scripture that the Lord's teaching called for a radical departure from the Jewish customs at the time in their traditions. You know, God speaks to us through his word. And God spoke through his son, who is the living word. So when Jesus is speaking, it is God that is speaking to us. Recall in John 8, verse 26, where Jesus said, I have many things to speak, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to you. This is the word of God proclaimed to us through the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. In John 8, 28, Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And there in verse 40, You're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. And in John seven sixteen. Jesus says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. In John 15, Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all the things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. And we often neglect or fail to appreciate the great honor and privilege we have in order to hear truth spoken directly from the Son of God in his recorded word. 
And the most important reality in this world is divine truth. Listen to what I'm saying. The primary priority for all Christians, all disciples, all followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to hear the revealed word of God. And that is prior to every other spiritual duty. Because every other spiritual duty is motivated by, informed by, and defined by Scripture. Again, our primary priority for all of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ is to hear His revealed Word, to hear it preached, to hear it taught, to apply it to our lives, because that is prior to every other spiritual duty that we would have. Because that understanding of God's truth is motivated by, informed by, and defined by the Scripture. So once again, in this historical account that Luke records, Jesus enters a certain village. And we know the name of the village even though it's not mentioned here particularly, again, that's not the main point that Luke wants to get across at this point. But the name of the village is Bethany. And how do we know that? Well, John writes in his gospel that that's where Mary and Martha live with their brother Lazarus. And geographically, Bethany is about two miles east of the eastern wall there in Jerusalem. And it's on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So in a few months, Jesus will eventually end up back in Bethany. He's going to stay with Martha and Mary again. But at that time, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then he's going to enter on into Jerusalem. And this account here might be Jesus' first visit. This might be the first time that he ever met They're in that home with Martha and Mary. And between this visit again and the the last time when Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead, you know, perhaps there were other visits as Jesus was traveling because the time we read of the account of Lazarus, Jesus knows Mary and Martha very well. Perhaps he had stayed there on a number of prior occasions in his traveling as he was going about teaching. Well, Jesus comes to the village of Bethany. We read there in verse 38, a a woman named Martha. And the language that's used here in the original indicates that he, he probably didn't know her at the time. And the text there does not say You know, he arrived there at a friend. It doesn't say, you know, he arrived to see Martha. It it, it simply states that a woman named Martha. You know, and Jesus didn't always get a a warm welcome when he went into a town. And neither did the 70 when they were sent out. Remember, that's why at one time John, he wanted to call down fire and brimstone on the people because they wouldn't accept the apostles and they didn't want Jesus visiting in their town. Well, maybe Martha had previously heard the gospel from a pair of those 70 that had been previously sent out. 
And so she, she sees Jesus and she, she welcomes her, welcomes him. And Martha, that name, she's the hostess. And Martha, it's an Aramaic word, which, which means mistress. And that is rather than being the master of the house, she was the mistress of the house. And this seems obvious to us as we read it today, since she appears to be the hostess and it's, it's her house. She's likely the oldest sister because she's usually named first when Martha and Mary are both named. It's also likely that she's a, a widow since no husband is named. So Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. And the original language there means to embrace, to entertain as a guest. And Mary and Martha believed in Jesus. How do we know that? Because in verse 40, Martha says to him, Lord. In the original word there is kurios. Lord of lords, it means. So they had at some point embraced the truth that Jesus was indeed the Lord. That he was the long-awaited Messiah. And recall the instructions that were given to the 70. It says, when you go to a house and they will take you in and receive you, then stay there. So Martha eagerly wanted to take Jesus in and serve him with hospitality. And this event kind of reminds us of the account. Remember when Abraham and Sarah had the pre-incarnate Christ and two of his angels show up for dinner? You know, it appears that Martha was not alone in the house. Her brother Lazarus is not mentioned here, but her sister Mary is. She's there mentioned in verse 39. She had a sister called Mary. And the text doesn't tell us much about Mary. All we really know about her is that when Jesus came to the house, she was listening to the Lord's teaching. Seated at his feet. But that's really all we need to know about her. Not only was Mary listening to the Lord's teaching and his words, but she was doing something that was remarkable for a woman at the time, and it's difficult for us to grasp this in our culture. She was seated at his feet. And we read that today, and if you're not familiar with the culture at the time, this was, this was unheard of. Rabbis didn't allow that. Matter of fact, most rabbis thought it was useless to teach a woman. You know, a, a woman might possibly be allowed to listen in the back or perhaps in the women's section, but to come up and be at the Lord's feet, the original language there means alongside. She was as near as she could be. Her position indicated her intense interest in his teaching. She got as close as she could get to Jesus so she wouldn't miss a single word of what he had to say. And she didn't care about the conventional wisdom and the traditions of the time. She was there listening to the Lord's words. <laughs> the closer, the better. And she demonstrates the attitude of a, a genuine believer. You know, back in Luke chapter 6, verse 47... Jesus said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. And then he goes on to say he builds his house on a rock. 
You know, recall in Luke chapter 8, you know, Jesus' mother and his brothers come looking for him. They couldn't find him because of the crowds. And somebody in the crowd said in verse 20, Hey, your mother and your brothers, they're outside looking for you. They want to see you. What did Jesus say? My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. What are one of the ways you can tell a genuine believer from just a false professing believer? And one is they hear the word of God and they do it. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll do what I say. You know, Luke chapter 11, verse 28. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. You know, Mary had a strong desire to hear the word of God. And she grasped this amazing opportunity. Her primary priority was to hear the truth, to love that truth, to believe that truth, and then to act on that truth. And that ought to be our primary priorities for each one of us here this morning. And if you know, if you don't hunger and thirst after the truth and righteousness, and if you don't love the truth, and if you don't fully appreciate the the privilege and the honor of hearing the word of God faithfully taught week after week. Perhaps you even find expository preaching boring. Then sincerely, you might need to re-examine and consider whether or not Jesus is really is your Lord and if you are a true follower and disciple. Because this is part of the new covenant and the new heart and Jesus puts these desires within our heart to know him, to love him and to do his will and I understand and you know there are times in our lives and Christians who truly believe can become distracted from hearing the word (laughs) and scripture gives us a good example of one and we can see ourselves in this passage. Verse 40. <laughs> Here are two words that, you know, you don't want to forget. But Martha. Martha didn't get it. The scripture says Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And that verb there in the original language, distracted, means to be pulled away, to be dragged away. You know, she was doing whatever she needed to do to prepare the meal and to get the mat ready for where Jesus was going to be sleeping that night, as well as all the other arrangements that had to be made for those that were traveling with him. Martha was pulled away. What was she distracted from? She was distracted from the primary priority of listening to the words of the Lord and his teaching. Forget the bed. Forget the arrangements. 
Just forget about the preparation of the meal for now. Martha had been dragged away. She was distracted. She was distracted by her serving. She was pulled away by the busyness of all the physical preparations. And there's certainly nothing wrong with hospitality. We're commanded to practice it. And there's nothing wrong with entertaining guests. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, a widow couldn't be put on the support list unless she had lodged strangers and had shown hospitality. Those are good things. And Martha's devotion is commendable at this point in this respect. But in her serving, she got her priorities out of order. Furthermore, it wasn't bad enough that Martha's priorities were were messed up. But write this down and understand it. You know, once your priorities get messed up, so does your attitude. This is an important life lesson. Martha loses the joy of her service. She becomes frustrated and finally she gets angry about it. That's not the right attitude we're to have when showing hospitality and serving one another. And just think in your own life. How easy it is sometimes to start out doing something good and necessary, but because you don't realize what is best or better, even what is good can lead to self-focus, frustration, anger. And then you do or say something you end up regretting. How many times has that happened in your life? But look at Martha's response. (laughs) to her circumstances in the situation. She came up to Jesus, the scripture says. And what she should have done, and we have hindsight, (laughs) and think we would have done better when in reality we could have maybe even done worse. What she should have done, especially when she was irritated, she was angry, she's full of anxiety and worry, she should have just gone in and sat down next to Mary and listened. But instead, she comes up to Jesus. This is God she's talking to. And she says, Lord, don't you care? I mean, think about that. Who's going to lay down his life and bear her sins and suffer shame? Lord, don't don't you care? You know, this is like saying from her perspective, just to put it, in everyday language. Well, Jesus, are you are you just going to sit there and just keep talking about divine, life-changing, soul-transforming, glorious truths about heavenly blessings that produce joy and peace and ignore the fact that the table is not set? <laughs> and specifically, she says, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? (laughs) Again, it's like saying, don't you realize that the bread is burning and Mary is just sitting there doing nothing? And we sit back and we can chuckle and see how silly that is, but at the time we've done the same thing. 
responded the same way. But the issue here, Martha was, she was focused on and concerned with the bread that perishes. She's all concerned and worried about the bread that only feeds the body. While Mary made her primary priority the living bread that feeds the soul. And finally, what does Martha say? Tell her to help me. (laughs) Now realize what she's just done. (laughs) She's gone all the way now to the point of commanding God on what to do. That's how twisted we can become when our priorities are misplaced. Tell her to help me. (laughs) You know, now, before all of us are quickly able to condemn Martha, let me just ask you a question. If I ask myself, what is it that keeps you from gathering with the Lord's people in his church to hear his word proclaimed and taught? Can you find time in your busy schedule every week to gather with the Lord's people? What other non-primary priorities occupy you on Sunday morning? And all the other times that you could benefit by the means of grace of hearing the word of God. Are you so preoccupied with other things that seem important that eventually they only lead to irritation, frustration, they end up making you angry? When in reality, we should be sitting at the feet of Jesus hearing his word. And when we look at Martha and we wonder about her misplaced priorities, perhaps we should look at our own lives and ask if our priorities are also misplaced as well. But notice how gracious Jesus is in his response. Verse 41. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. There's tenderness in that address. It is a rebuke, but it's a sympathetic, gentle rebuke by the shepherd to one of his sheep. Martha, Martha, you you were so worried and bothered. In the language there, it means you're unduly concerned and you're troubled. You're worried and bothered about so many things, he says. But only a few things are necessarily, really only one. It was good to do what she did, but not then. Not when it was time to hear the word of God. 
And Jesus says only a few things are necessarily, really only one. What well, all boils down to one primary priority, doesn't it? According to the Word of God. You must know Christ. Paul said again, uh, to know Christ and Him crucified. How are you going to know Him? From His Word. Our lives are often so full of unnecessary things that we think are important. But actually, the things often enslave us and control us. And we get frustrated over things that don't really matter in light of eternity. The older you get, the more that's apparent. And I exhort you this morning to purpose your life to one thing, one primary thing, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Like David did. To be made like Christ, as Paul desired. Knowing that the path to that end is to hear Jesus speak. Because that is the way that we are conformed into his image. That's the only way we'll ever truly know him. It's the only way he reveals his beauty to us. And so Jesus says, Mary's chosen the good part. Actually, in the Greek, it calls for a superlative. Mary has chosen the best part. Literally, what what is best? She has done that. In light of everything else that needs to be done, this is the best thing. Recall Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Most of us don't miss a meal, (laughs) but we can easily miss out on the Word of God daily. That is our life. Jesus is our life. That's our primary priority in every one of our lives. Nothing is better than hearing the Lord speak to us. If we could truly grasp, and I struggle at times with this myself, if we could truly grasp when whoever's up here reading the word, preaching the word, praying the word, you're hearing directly from God's servant, we wouldn't be nearly as casual as we are. said, I've, I've been in municipal courts. I've been in federal courts. And nobody would act and behave in a court the way we sometimes do in church when someone is proclaiming God's word. We're hearing the words of the Almighty 
again, if the Lord were to appear, we would probably be trembling at his words. Nothing else compares to that one primary priority. Mary had chosen the best. And Jesus says, I will not take it away from her. I'm not going to send her to the kitchen. You know, Mary was never going to be a preacher. She was never going to be an official in some ministry. But she was going to know Jesus. She was going to behold the beauty of the Lord. She was going to love her Lord that died for her. And she was longing to be like him. Again, there's nothing as important as divine truth and knowing God. That is our primary priority. And yet those of us who do have genuine faith can become so distracted by what is not really necessary or the best thing at the right time. You know, we all should desire to be faithful in our jobs, faithful to our homes, faithful to our children, our families, our wives. We want to enjoy the, the things of God's creation. But none of these things ever replace sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing him speak. You wonder why so many Christians are discouraged and depressed and lacking joy? They're not availing themselves of the means of grace that God's provided. And we try to encourage one another. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's the context in which the one and others are done. The ministry is done. The building up of the body, the encouragement, the unity of the saints. Our primary primary priority is clear. It is that which informs everything else in our lives. It leads us to see and behold the beauty of our Savior, to see His glory, to love Him, obey Him, and to proclaim Him. And this is why Paul wrote, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's why Paul said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand. We're living in evil days. The church is not always standing firm and courageous. (laughs) Many have abandoned the word. Many pulpits are just looking to entertain. 
It's also why Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Are you meditating it on a day and night as David did? Are you hiding it in your heart? It's also why Paul said to Timothy, be constantly nourished on the words of the faith and sound doctrine. You can't do that when the Lord is not the primary priority. You can't do that through sporadic application of these things. It's it's not what the Lord has ordained or designed. This is why Peter said, like newborn babes, which we are to long for the pure milk of the word that we may grow. You don't grow if you don't eat. The bread of life. We're consumed with the physical bread. That's why John said that you are strong because the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the wicked one. And again, there's a lot of weakness. It's because the word is not abiding. Well, when you think about it, when you need spiritual strength, you need assurance, you need hope, you need joy, you need confidence, you need boldness, you're in need of mercy, you're in need of grace. (laughs) You need a heart of gratitude. All these elements of our Christian lives... And I'm exhorting you this morning and encouraging you. Every single one of those flow from the primary priority of hearing the Word of God. And I ask you to give thanks this morning that we have the privilege to hear that week in and week out. And by the grace of God, we've been able to remain faithful to that for 25 years of preaching God's word in season and out of season. Realize the glorious opportunity and benefits you have from men that are dedicated to God's word. You're under shepherds, under the great shepherd, that Christ is the head of this body of believers. And think about making the gathering of the Lord's people a priority this year in your life. Your Lord died for the church. (laughs) He gave himself up for us to be a spotless bride. Well, in light of that, we all probably have made some New Year's resolutions, and many of them are good. But choose the best. Ask by God's grace and God's power that you could commit. As Avery has said, be in his word. Read his word. Meditate on it. Pray pray the word. And I'm not going to tell you how much (laughs) every day, but you do something every day to meet with the Lord, and you meet to your hope is restored or to you behold Christ. 
And if that takes you one verse, do that. If it takes you three chapters, do that. But meet with the Lord daily. I pray that for myself, too. (laughs) Well, let us turn our attention now to the Lord's table, which is the picture given for us of Christ dying for our sins and for this body of believers, the church. And we do this weekly to remind us of the gospel, the good news that we have, that we were without hope in this world. There's nothing we could do to reconcile ourselves to a holy God, that we were condemned because of our transgression of his holy law. But Christ took on our sin and stood in our place and crucified upon that cross and shed his blood that the blood of the bulls and goats couldn't take away. It could only temporarily cover the sin as we've seen. But Christ has accomplished that and says it is finished and he sat down at the right hand of God. And he's established that new covenant where I'm going to put a new heart within you and cause you to walk in my ways and write my law upon your heart.